Welcome to Americana One. This is Ken Paulson, and I'm so pleased today to be able to talk to Eric Brace of Last Train Home. Welcome, Eric. Well, thank you, Ken, and thanks for having me on the show. It's it's a pleasure and an honor, and it's good to talk to you again, my old friend, Ken. Yeah, we uh, we have actually known each other in one form or another for about uh, a little more than a decade. I first became aware yeah. I first became aware of Last Train Home. Uh, when I moved to Washington to work for USA Today and realized very quickly there was a buzz around this band called Last Train Home and they were deeply respected and popular and then I discovered that you guys played the IOTA which was just two metro stops from my home so it was a magical coincidence <laughs> perfect yeah IOTA was was really a uh, a uh kind of a home base for us when we got started. We started up in Washington, D.C. around 96. I can't even believe I'm saying that. It's been so many years. Oh, God. So, But it was, a, uh, it was an extraordinary time, uh, and IOTA had just opened. It was a little club in Arlington, Virginia, and uh, I wanted to play with my band there with my brother who was in the band and our pedal steel player Dave and Bill and uh, a couple other folks and we we just felt like uh, we were not going to be a full-time band we just started playing every now and then mostly at IOTA and for the fun of it and things just kind of grew so we kept well you've got a, a great body of work and it's funny, you moved to Nashville where I got to know you a lot better, and you began playing with pretty much anyone you wanted to. You had a couple of, <laughs> couple of usual suspects and did all kinds of interesting records for Red Beat Records, which is your label, as you know. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and what, what, what I thought was that Last Train Home was a fine band whose time was over that you'd moved on to new projects and lo and behold <laughs> yeah, yeah lo and behold completely out of nowhere there's a brand new album called daytime highs and overnight lows how did that come about well it was a little bit out of the blue out of nowhere out of left field and it was um the genesis of that was really the closing of that club iota that you mentioned um back in, uh, it was closing in September, end of September 2017. But what had happened was um, I had been working at the Washington Post newspaper and uh, Last Train Home was kind of a part-time thing for a while from about 96 through 2003. And we put out two records we were working on our third record and I had heard from a, a booking agency in 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 California, one that I knew and was was kind of, uh, I wanted to on it, and I got a phone call out of the blue from from the guy who runs it saying, "Hey, I keep hearing about Last Train Home. Would you be interested in having a booking agency management and said all that? If if you can do full time, if you can go full time, we'll do that." And I thought, "Oh my God, I'm going to leave a job writing for the Washington Post to." to you know throw it all throw caution into the wind and and hit the road and and that's what i did so in 2003 i went full-time with uh, jim gray the bass player and martin Linz, the drummer and we just hit the road uh with 
well, first, uh, Jared Bartlett, a guitarist who toured with us, who's up in D.C. still, and then with Steve Wiedemeyer, a guitarist from Houston, and then uh, we just found a very welcome reception for us in Nashville, and we just thought, this is the place to be, and since we're going to be playing full-time, we might as well just go on the road full-time. And all the other members of the band, my brother Alan up in D.C., um, Bill Williams and Scott McKnight, guitarists up in D.C., our trumpet player, Kevin Court, uh, and Dave Van Allen, the steel player uh, who lives up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. They all had full-time jobs and families and couldn't go on the road. And so we were a full-time band. We were full-time from uh, 2003 until about 2009. We were touring pretty steadily around the country and in Europe and it you know bands they're not they're, they're kind of an ab, abnormal uh, structure you know you spend a lot of time in a in a small space whether it's a, a hotel room or a van or a stage or a backstage area and you know it's hard to sustain that and so we we didn't really sustain it and our last our last record was 2009, and I ended up playing, uh, as you know, but I've been playing in, in Nashville for about 10 years with Peter Cooper, a uh, songwriter and guitar player, and more recently with Peter and a fellow named Tom Butes, another excellent songwriter and guitarist. So it's more of an acoustic duo and trio, and I just thought, oh, this is nice, this is nice. But in my head, I, I, I had these songs that... I thought, boy, wouldn't it be great if Last Train Home could play these with pedal steel and trumpet and saxophone and lots of guitars and harmonies and everything. And I just heard, and, and a full rhythm section, you know, that's kind of what it is. I, I, I like rock and roll. I like a rhythm section. And um, when IOTA was set to close in 2017, we got an invitation from the from the owners to come and play the closing weekend because we had played there for a hundred plus times. We had played New Year's Eve shows there for 13 or 14 years in a row. We're kind of the house band, you know, so we did that. And we had such a good time, all of us together again. Uh, I just thought, you know, there's still there's still life in this. So I started talking to everybody saying, hey, if, if I could pull together the, the songs and, and if, if you all felt good about it, would you, would you go into the studio and make another Last Train Home record? And everybody said, yeah, love to, love to, love to. And so we did. <laughs> and, uh, well, this is, and it happened really quickly, and so now it's, now it's out. That's great. And the, the record is, was worth the wait. One of the things that strikes me about the record is, and I will call it record because I'm old, uh, is that, <laughs> is, is, there, is there vinyl, by the way, on this at all? Well, sadly, there's not. In fact, there has never been vinyl and oh. it keeps the popping into my head oh maybe i should just do it but no right now there's not so on this new album what i'm struck by is it's kind of like the perfect way to put together an album that everyone will enjoy because first of all you you have new material things you've written but then you have yep. songs you have recorded in previous incarnations on previous albums that you want to revisit <laughs> and you know inevitably the new one is going to be if not better than the previous one, it will be different. And then on top of that, 
you go and grab covers from people you deeply admire and songs you love. That's a great balance to any album. Is that the strategy? Well, it it was absolutely the strategy, and in a way, it's kind of what Last Train Home has done, um, because it was never about, oh, I have something deep and important to say, me, Eric Brace, a songwriter. I always wrote songs, but I, but I always wanted to have, with Last Train Home, I, I always wanted to have um, other people's songs, my brother's songs, and Bill Williams' songs, and Scott McKnight's songs, and our friend Carl Straub's songs, and... Um, our trumpet player writing uh, fanfares on the Christmas album that we did. Um, you know, so I, I never wanted it to be just about me. And uh, also, as far as the covers go, it was, um, we would always do um, fun covers on, on all of our records. You know, we would do things by, um, Oh, you know, by the, by maybe slightly more predictable Buck Owens and the Carter family and that, but we would also do, um, on the new record, for instance, we do a song by Barry White, and uh, it was it was it was just the thing to do. You know, we wanted to remind because we used to play things like this live. Um, we would we would do a Patsy Cline cover that my brother would sing, and a Bobby Womack song that that we would do, and we would bring in um, certainly country. I mean, we we began when alt country was really a, a phrase, and and we were definitely I'd say part of that wave but also we would do straight bluegrass and we would do straight up r&b and i thought you know this is why shouldn't we do all these things you know bands like like la lovett or 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 van morrison for decades or the mavericks or the nitty-gritty dirt band or you know folks like that would just play all kinds of things and i guess it's kind of a cliche to say that you know there's good music and bad music and why should you categorize it otherwise but you know in terms of marketing i think that did hurt us over the years people would say well you know it's a little bit of this it's a little bit of that but you know if you went to a last train home show i think you'd like that i think you'd like a whole, a whole lot of stuff so so, so we yeah have, we have teased the audience way too long and um I, I had a couple songs I'd love to, to have you talk about, but as long as we've sure. gone ahead and, and jumped ahead to Barry White, uh, people have got to hear this song. <laughs> but I have to be very honest, I've known so. you for a good good amount of time, and your name and Barry White never entered my brain at the same time <laughs> under any circumstances. Until now, until Excellent. now. There you go. From the new album, here's What Am I Going to Do With You. So I have a question, Eric Brace of Last Train Home. You have been a professional music critic in your career, which means you, you listen to music in a somewhat jaded way. You've heard everything. How in the world can you listen to something you just recorded and not like tear yourself apart because you're so accustomed to seeing every issue, every problem? <laughs> well, I mean, who says I don't? Uh, it's really, 
really hard for me to listen to my own records. Um, but having said that, what I listen for in my own records, I, I sort of um, listen for does it does it sound good? I'm not going to weigh in on things like songwriting and my own performance after I've done the best I can. You know, I just have to let that go. And then I just if I do listen to my own records, I'm listening sort of sonically and I'm just so amazed and appreciative of the people that I've worked for over the years that have that are just extraordinary engineers like people like Doug Derryberry and Jared Bartlett and uh, um, Richard McLaurin and just folks like that uh, over the years in Washington and New York and Nashville and all the musicians that I work for I'm just I love the way almost everything has ever sounded on, on my record so that's mostly how I listen to it and you know over the years um, my, my critical ear um, where I'm listening down and try to find the right adjectives to figure out why something is good or why something is not good I've really tried to turn that off and just let music kind of flow over me now a bit more and um, you know, I'll go on the uh, streaming services, just hit shuffle and listen, and kind of go, "Oh, that's nice," or oh, "I don't like that so much." But I'm, I'm just less. I don't tear things apart as much as I used to, and I think that's probably good for my my mental health. Well, that that's exactly right. I spent a good number of years writing about music myself, and the other day I dug out the Rolling Stone album guide, the first one. It's a red book. Oh. It's probably in your library, and they. I liked, remember it. They liked nothing. It is the meanest <laughs> collection. They describe Mark Knopfler as a middling guitar player. It's like, <laughs> you horrible human beings are writing this. Uh, well, let's go. Let's hear a bit of your uh, of your work. Uh, we, 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 we dipped into Barry White before hearing something written by, uh, by Eric Brace. But I, I, I want to pull one from a, a song that you first recorded on the comeback album with the aforementioned Peter Cooper a song called, yeah. called Sailor. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's funny. Um, I uh, began writing that song in the presence of uh, one of your WMOT colleagues, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Scott, when uh, Peter Cooper and I were on the music fog bus to record some songs. Um, I had started, I had had a little uh, chord progression, and in my in my head it sounded a little bit like a gypsy jazz kind of progression and so when we were recording peter cooper and i when we were recording the um the comeback album we asked rory hoffman to join us and rory is one of the most extraordinary musicians on the planet and that that is not hyperbole he can play uh, dozens of instruments at the absolute highest level and one of the instruments that he does play is uh, a uh, gypsy jazz guitar and he came on and he he played on that and he also played clarinet and accordion and piano on that and it it was beautiful and sublime and but for some reason i always heard um trumpet and saxophone and other things on there, and I always wanted uh, I always wanted um, Last Train Home to play it, and I think we did play it a couple times years and years and years ago, uh, soon after Peter and I recorded it, and um, I thought, oh, this this bodes well, and so instead of a jazz sort of feel 
for it sounds more like the um uh it sounds more like the cure uh love cats boom chink boom chink boom but i asked my uh i asked my horn section chris watling on uh on saxophone and kevin cord on trumpet both from washington i said let's do a big old crazy descending fanfare at the top and they embraced it wholeheartedly and uh, it's it's a story it's a it's a big honking metaphor about somebody's journey in life trying to figure out what matters and where they're going and why and um i couldn't be happier with the with the version the way last train home has uh, has made it theirs or made it ours again and i do love the version that we do uh peter and i with with rory hoffman on there and um it's it's a great version but i just think last train home uh, gives it a new gives it new life so here from daytime highs and overnight lows a big honking metaphor sailor <laughs> every day and i got a tattoo of an anchor up around my shoulder and another of a bird as it flies away i make it up as i go where i'm Eric, I've enjoyed your work uh, over the years, and it was interesting to me how you had an affinity for both Peter Cooper and Tom Utes, and it was like it was like a, a band that just kept migrating new members in and out. Uh, I know they're all different projects technically, but there's a common sensibility to so much of what you've done with those guys. Uh, is that just a happy accident? Well, it is, and but I think people naturally gravitate to people that they have some sort of um, sympathetic energy with, not just sort of similar tastes or approaches to music, but there's something there's something bigger going on, you know, the the the, the expression of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. I think that that's always been something that I that I hope for, and. Um, the people that I've been able to collaborate with over the years, uh, I think have made that true. And Peter and Tom are definitely part of that. I mean, Peter was very much a welcome wagon for me when I moved to Nashville. And um, he was writing for the Tennessean at the time. Now he's at the Country Music Hall of Fame doing great work. Um, and we just had an affinity he, he for, for, for each other's musical tastes and for a lot of the same things. He had grown up in high school high school years up in Washington DC and he had spent a lot of time at the Birchmere up there the great um, club where the seldom seen the bluegrass band had used to have a residency every Thursday and I know that I spent a lot of time up there and Peter spent a lot of time up there at the Birchmere and and they're a good example of of a group that sort of tried just about anything and the the whole was greater than the sum of the parts and they were such an inspiration to me, and they were an inspiration to Peter and an inspiration to Tom, who over in Germany was listening to the progressive bluegrass scene and Johnny Rice and John Hartford. And and so when when Peter and I did a show opening up for um, Nancy Griffith at the Birchmere one time, and Tom Utes was touring as Nancy Griffith's guitarist, um, we just sort of hit it off, you know, and and then when 
Peter and I were about to record the comeback album, he said, you know, we really should work at Tom Yutz's studio. And I didn't even know Tom had a studio. I, I thought he was just a guitarist sideman person. But not only did he have a studio, but he had a, a set of albums out called the 1861 project that full of his own original songs about the American civil war filled with amazing people like Marty Stewart and, uh, um, and Jim Lauderdale and folks like that. And I thought, Oh, these are the same people I like to work with and want to work with and get them lucky enough to work with. So there was an affinity for storytelling, songwriting and sort of history. I, I had recently been working on a, a a music California gold rush with my DC friend Carl Straub and so Peter and Tom and I just started recording together and then when we'd play live Tom would start plant joining us and playing with us and it just became a, a, a natural progression that the duo of Peter and myself would become a trio with Tom and but I do like collaborating I'm I've done so few solo shows in my life I mean literally you can count them on one hand um, I, I don't know if, if it's nerves. I mean, it must be a little bit. prefer having someone else with me so that something something else can be created. You know, for instance, when when you're talking about harmonies, I remember Peter Peter talks about this um, that Emmy Lou Harris, who's the queen of singing duets, she talks about, uh, how when you find a really sympathetic voice to sing with, that you almost create a third voice out there in the ether. It's not just two voices coming. You're creating something bigger. And if you can use that, metaphor, that that's kind of how I approach making music. Yes, I want to work with somebody, whether it's um, Carl Straub on the Gold Rush musical or or with... Peter and Tom or with Last Train Home or with the group called the Skylighters that was me and Jimmy Gaudreau on mandolin and Mike Aldridge the great late Dobro player um, or with uh, Rory Hoffman the musician I was talking about um, he and I made an album of French songs where he sort of has free reign of, uh, <laughs> of playing whatever he wants and I, I recorded an album with, with Jerry Lawson, the great lead singer from the Persuasions, and Jerry recently died. But it was a real collaboration, and, and that's how I prefer to work. It occurs to me that I was fortunate to lure you to the museum one night where you got on stage by yourself in honor of Mary Chapin Carpenter. <laughs> that night is still the most nerve-wracking musical experience of my of my life you got asked me to, and thank you very much for for getting me out of my comfort zone but to get up there in the museum uh when you were honoring mary chapin carpenter with your uh with your award uh and asking me to play <laughs> songs in front of her that was terrifying and, and that was really one of the few times i've ever played solo not only her, you there was Rodney Crowell and uh, Judy Collins as well. Judy so. Collins were there, I know, and I'm <laughs> looking at them, going, "How did I get here?" So thank you, Ken. Uh, I'm glad if I'd known <laughs> if I'd known that it was get, taking you out of your comfort zone, I probably wouldn't have asked. So I'm glad to know that now. Um, well, you are a Renaissance man, and, and I want to make sure we play uh, one more song from the album. How about "Distance and Time"? I would uh, I would love it. Can I tell you about it? Please do. 
<laughs> I, I think I'm, I have something of an obsession with time as a concept and because uh, uh, I have an album called Time and Water and there's all kinds of references to it in my, in my various songs. But it's a, uh, it, it was basically, it started off kind of as a, uh, a drinking song. I was trying to imagine it in, a, uh, in an Irish bar and then it kind of, uh, as I wrote, it became a, something a little more, uh, a little soft or maybe a little more uh, introspective. But I tried, when I was recording it with, with Last Train Home, I tried to sort of uh, split the difference and bring, have it being a slightly quieter drinking song. But it's the kind of song that has a, has a, little, a little prayer in it saying, may we soon be together. And that's sort of a recurring refrain. And so if any of, any of your uh, radio and podcast listeners ever hear it, I hope they'll sing along on that refrain. And it's a, it's a big old uh, three-quarter time, well, it's a prayer and a drinking song all rolled into one. Well, here's a chance for that audience to hear it for the first time, learn the lyrics so the next time they hear it, they'll be fully prepared. Here's Distance and Time from the new Last Train Home album. Words that I say as I lift up my glass May we soon be together Whisper cantation to get time to pass May we soon be together Oh, the arc of the sun shows another day done Another day closer to you Watch it come up and go down again Now it's midnight and blue I find I'm uneasy and miles in between May we soon be... We're here with Eric Brace of Last Train Home and multiple musical incarnations, and it's been great to talk with you, Eric. Uh, you, you, are, you, never, you never bore yourself, I can tell that. You know, it's funny because in a way that's sort of the driving force behind it, behind whatever this crazy career of mine is. It's like, I wonder, because here's, I'm going to admit to you, which I've said to very few people, I'm in the middle of a ska record right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're laughing. I'm glad that's your reaction, but it's going to be really good. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be great. I. I just hate the way you pursue commercial trends time and again. A French album. Oh, it's a, a money grab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are very few people in the music industry that have as much fun as you do, Eric. And, you know, we are all beneficiaries of, of your body of work. So thank you for that. It's been a pleasure, friend. Please check out the brand new album. It's called Daytime Highs and Overnight Lows, a great title for a record. And it's available now from Last Train Home. Thank you again, Eric. Thank you, Ken. Our thanks to Erica Nalo for her always sterling production and to Dave Paulson for writing the theme music. This is Americana One. <laughs>